We made it to season four. We certainly did. Welcome to the Garden Angelus, where we talk about flowers, veggies, and all the best dirt. I'm Dean Ash from Guthrie, Oklahoma, where I garden on seven and a half acres out in the country. And I'm Carol Michael from Indianapolis, Indiana. I have a suburban garden measured in square feet. It's about a third of an acre. We call ourselves Garden Angelists because we are evangelists for gardening. We love gardening and we want you to love it just as much too. Yes, we do. And we aren't afraid to spill the beans and tell all of our gardening secrets, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. But that's enough of who, what, when, where. Let's move on to this week's episode. Hello, D. Hello, Carol. How does your garden grow? My garden grows well. So this episode is coming out on November the 10th. Right. And it's November 2nd. And I've already had some frost and I'm pretty sure we'll have a killing frost by then. So Mm -hmm. I'm calling it over and done. Over and done. But what is that that I see streaming through your window? That is the sun. I just filled the bird feeders again and the sun is streaming through windows. It's a beautiful day. I am expecting to be delivered the 500 crocus corms and the 500 kind of doxa bulbs that I did indeed order. And uh, a charge came through on my card and they should be here today or tomorrow. And I will have them in the ground by the time this podcast episode drops. So did you know you ordered them or was it a surprise? No, I thought I had ordered them. And then Mm -hmm. when I got the tulip bulbs, but I didn't get these bulbs, I thought, oh, maybe I didn't. But I saw, I checked, I did order them. And so all is good. But you know what I have put on my Trello list to order next spring? What? The autumn flowering crocuses, which is crocus speciosus. They are going gangbusters in my back, uh, in the bed around my honey locust tree. And I mean, tons of them. They are spreading every year. And my older sister came over on Sunday and she's like, what are those? How do you have crocuses in bloom? You know, my magic powers and all. Yeah. So I had to confess it was a different kind of crocus. And I thought, I'm going to order a whole bunch of those. And I'm going to plant a bunch of them in the front where the people will walk by and they'll know that Carol's got magical powers. <laughs> so I have a question. Are those cro- are autumn crocuses deer proof or not? Are they like other crocuses? So here's the thing about the autumn crocus, and sometimes they're called, sometimes they are given the genus name Colchicum, but the foliage comes up in the spring and then Mm -hmm. the flower comes up in the fall. So there is no foliage as compared to my saffron crocus, crocus sativus, which also comes up in the fall, but the foliage and the bloom come up in the fall. And I can tell you from personal experience that I have some of those in front and I had one bloom. And I'm like, oh, and there's a bunch of leaves more coming up. And the rabbits ate them all down to nubbins. Blasted rabbits. Here it's all the voles. The voles eat things. And I don't know if those crocus, the autumn crocus are vole proof or not. Because the reason I'm asking is I was thinking about planting autumn, trying autumn crocus around my new service berry tree. You know what? What have you got to lose but a couple bucks for the corms that you're going to order? So I say, exactly. go for it. I might do that. When we speak of rabbits, and I say the rabbits ate those. It, it could have been voles that ate off those little things. I don't know. So you remember last spring when I planted out my very carefully sown sunflower seedlings in the garden, and I was going to have a big bunch of sunflowers, and they got eaten off every single one? 
I do. Tell me now how all those sunflower seedlings are coming up beneath where I feed the birds. Nobody's coming and eating them. I got to clean up the mess. I know. I know they only eat the precious sunflowers, not the ones that come up in the bird food. Don't ask me. I clean them out every year. too. That is like a smorgasbord over there. And this was like, I, I guess, because those look more gourmet, you know, each one all separated. I don't know. Tell mm-hmm. me about your garden. Yeah, I do want so to hear you wanna, about it. Tell me about okay. it. Okay. So by the time this airs, we will probably have a freeze because we're really close. And But the weather's supposed to be good when this drops. So we're supposed to have a freeze in between from what I've seen on the you know, forecast. But who knows? And so I'm keeping things in the greenhouse alive. No small task. Um, I brought everything in and uh, we hooked up the propane. And I even brought in four daylily impulse buys that I bought in the middle of summer and oversummered in pots because I can't see where to plant them until we get a good hard freeze. And then I've got to mark the spot for spring because you can't put daylilies out. I mean, you could, but chances of them living are not good. So I'm going to wait and plant them in spring. They're going to sit and cool their heels in the greenhouse until then. Um, We had wood delivered for the fireplace. Remember last year's ice and cold? Yes, I do. Well, I remember that, that you had ice and cold and horrible things. It was horrible. So I told Bill, we have to have our wood all in place. And I did my first fire last night, which would have been November 1st. That's it. You know, I have a fireplace. You know how it works? You turn it on with the gas. You flick the switch and poof. Yeah, I would have to have a special propane tank for that because I don't have natural gas out here. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, I like a wood fire. I really do. I don't, I, at one time I thought about doing the whole propane logs thing and I'm so glad I didn't do it. It is very convenient, but at my other house, and this goes back almost 25 years, I did have a wood fireplace and that was nice too. But I, I, I usually burnt like those, those fake logs come wrapped in paper. Oh my gosh. The sawdust logs. So Bill, um, Bill came home last night. And the first thing he said when he climbed out of the truck, because I was rushing more stuff into the greenhouse, he said, oh my gosh, I smell a wood fire. So it was kind of exciting. That is exciting. All right. I'm going to give us a quote. November, the last month of autumn, but the beginning of a new adventure. Time to take a risk and do the unexpected by anonymous. Ooh, well, the unexpected would be me planting autumn crocuses for sure. So we decided. Well, the reason I chose this quote, don't you? There's some reason behind every quote. Not really, but go ahead and tell me. It's because (laughs) we started this podcast in November of 20, whatever year it was, 2018. Is that right? I think so. Yeah. And it's sort of taking a risk and doing something we never expected to do. But you sent me that text one day and say, Let's record a podcast. And I'm like, okay. And here we are. Well, we were, what was funny about that is that we were in a talk about podcasting and you were sitting either right next to me or right behind me. I don't remember. Yeah. And you can't talk. So I texted you and you said, yeah, why not? And I was like, okay, let's do it. We didn't know what we were doing. Now we do. So this, this episode is sort of a, a look back at the past year. some of our favorite topics. And so flowers, you start off, what were your favorite flower topics? I think my all time, I I did a couple of them. And one of them was when we talked about taking time to watch the butterflies and what to plant for them. 
I really loved that episode. And we've actually linked back to it in our show notes. If, if you didn't hear it and you want to hear it, it's a good kind of a perennial one because, you know, you can think about what you're going to plant in your garden for next year. And then the other time I really enjoyed was the one where we talked about being pro clover and oxalis too. And I planted more clover this fall, especially crimson clover, which is unbelievably beautiful in the garden and the bees love it. So it's down in my lower pasture. And we talk about that on that episode and how clover and oxalis look similar, but they're not the same thing. Remember when I was going to have the National Clover Collection because I found out there were four varieties of decorative, (laughs) decorative, I don't know if that's the right word, but four varieties of clover you could buy for the leaf color coloring. I do remember that. Yeah. Yeah. I still have died. Yeah. That died out, but my love of violas. So any posts where I can talk about violas, that's my favorite or any episode. Which has been almost every episode this year. I mean, really, it is the, you know, and I'm, I'm here to say that the, I think it's the international herb society that the flower of the year for next year is the viola. So God help us. (laughs) Uh, we'll be talking about violas for another whole year. Um, but the thing is, violas. The thing like is, them. I've always loved violas, but this year, for some reason, I've just gotten into them bigger than ever. I don't know. It's just been an obsession, is what it's been. <laughs> sort of. So those are our favorite flower topics from this year, and we'd love to hear from our listeners. What were your favorite flower topics this year? Is there one episode that you remember? We might feature you. And our teaser in two more weeks. Yes, we might. So that is, I, I do think when we talked about the butterflies, I mean, we can't, we can't say enough. The zinnias, everybody should sow some zinnias. They're easy to grow from seed. You can't go wrong. Get you some zinnias. Yeah, definitely grow zinnias and grow some milkweed. Um. Which, by the way, some milkweed, that's good. I huh? got the Phyllis Marigold seeds you sent me. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Um, and I know they work because remember, I threw that flower head over into a bed and Phyllis came up again. Huh. So Phyllis is quite the prolific marigold. It's one of the prettiest marigolds I've ever grown. And actually, uh, pollinators liked it. So that's another that's good. thing that's good. Well, I was yeah. thinking about if I should save some of my Xenia seed. But we'll we'll talk about that. I don't know. I'm, I'm um I I've already bought zinnia seed for next year. Now you're making me panic, thinking I'm late buying my zinnia seeds. Let's move on to the next quote, D. Because <laughs> I got to go buy zinnias now. Seeds. Some next. of the days in November carry the whole memory of summer, as a fire opal carries the color of the moonrise. That's by Gladys Tabor, and I think that's my favorite quote of the year. My mother loves fire opals. I love that quote. I mean, it's just, uh, you know, she's a famous Mm. author, American author, 1899 to 1980. Have you ever seen a fire opal? I have not, but I imagine that it is a very pretty thing. It's a really pretty stone. And my mom has several of them. I think I have one that she gave me that was kind of her favorite. uh, It's not a gemstone in terms of like being like a, diamond or sapphire it's considered a lesser gemstone or lesser stone i don't know anyway they are really really beautiful and they were extremely popular in the victorian period which is when gladys Tabor was born so i love that some of the days in november 
That's beautiful. Some of the days in November carry the whole memory of summer. Think about that because November, at least in Indiana, is, and you can't tell now, the sun is shining very brightly, but it is one of our cloudier months. Mm -hmm. It's cloudy here today because um, we've had a big front come through and um, it's cold. It's actually as cold in Oklahoma today on November 2nd as it is um, in January. Really? Which is weird. It mm-hmm. is weird. That's what they said this morning on the news. So our veggie today, we're going to look back at our favorite vegetable topics. Do you see a theme here? I do. And Carol's is. I like that we are not afraid to talk about what failed in our gardens. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Now, it wasn't this year. This year was an excellent green bean year. But last year, 2020, oh. remember, we both just failed horribly with green beans. The easiest thing to grow the we, easiest. We deviated from our favorite varieties and, you know, we just were none too pleased with the green beans. And so we're not afraid to say that, hey, I'm not growing that again, or that was horrible, or Carol's watermelon mm-hmm. vines only got a foot long before she yanked it after it <laughs> bloomed in October. <laughs> Crazy stuff happens out there. You know, gardening is uh, not only seasonal, but unexpected. And you just, you don't know. I mean, this year, my eggplant was terrible. And I normally can grow eggplant with abandon. And I actually have a new eggplant recipe in a cookbook. And so I need to send you a picture of it because it'd be a good thing to do with your eggplant. (laughs) My eggplant was excellent. It's the best eggplant I ever grew. (laughs) And I didn't eat a one of them. And I feel kind of bad about that. Not terribly bad, but kind of bad. They were fabulous. If you decide to grow it next year, I've got a new recipe for you and it looks really, really good. Um, my okra this year was the worst okra I've ever grown. Candle fire. Candle fire. It was terrible. It got pithy very quickly and it wasn't even pretty like they said it was going to be. It, it was ugly. Really? And mine, I can't say because once again, I grew it, but I didn't eat it. But I do remember uh, I have an uncle who's recently passed away, but he, he, um, I talked to him a couple of years ago and they were looking for a variety called Campbell's soup, which they said was the best variety to grow. So I trust huh. him and I did find nice. it for them at uh, Baker's Creek. How cool. But I wonder, I don't, that's interesting. So, and then the one I loved that we talked about was the service berry trees and asparagus. And do you know why? Because I don't. Because know. asparagus is one of those things that if you grow it in the garden, it tastes completely different from what you get in the store. I'll take your word for it because I don't like it in the store. I don't like asparagus. Now, if if somebody serves like a little asparagus tips on a salad, I don't like scrunch it all to the side and go, ooh, but to get asparagus as a side dish, no. Well, I love asparagus and eat it any chance I can. And the asparagus I used to grow, which I've been thinking about putting in another asparagus bed, but you have to really decide where you're going to put it because it, it lasts for 15 years. So didn't, so. They, didn't they invent hollandaise sauce to, to smother over asparagus? That's, I don't think that's why they invented holiday sauce, but it does taste good with asparagus. So anything that I you, think you've eaten a lot of overcooked asparagus. I think that's why you don't like it. I was going to say anything that to eat, you have to cover it with some yummy sauce is not a very good vegetable. We just roast ours with salt, pepper, and olive oil, and it's delicious. Okay. And then we've got, of course, um, what is the other vegetable we have to mention? Tomatoes. 
We talk about them all the time. And I think that people are obsessed with strawberries and tomatoes. And so tomatoes, it's actually a fruit, but we talk about it a lot. Yeah. The interesting thing about tomatoes, and this is another little family story, but I I asked my aunt once, you know, there's three ways to eat tomatoes. Some people put salt on them. Some people put sugar on them. And some people eat them plain. Yeah. And so at one time she knew which of her brothers, my uncles, which put sugar, which put salt, and which he ate plain. I mean, they knew that about one another. That's bizarre. I've never heard of anybody putting sugar on a tomato, but I'll take your word for it. The ones who put sugar on it say, well, it's a fruit and you put sugar. On, I don't know. I would never. I don't eat. know. Ugh, it sounds horrible. I eat mine with salt, sometimes with olive oil and a little balsamic, but that's it. Okay. So I have a question for you. What should I do with all of my green tomatoes that are sitting on my table right now that I harvested this week? Well, I have 10 10 of them. I could fry them, but I don't really need fried green tomatoes. You could, um, can't you make like pickle them or something? Yeah, I could make chow chow with them. Something like that. that. Do that. I might not. You're probably going to just leave them there. And then when you come back from your trip, they'll be, they'll be, uh, they'll be right. Maybe, you know, they do ripen. Yeah. There are some people I know that, and I don't mess around with a bunch of green tomatoes. I should, but I'm a very bad, bad girl. Um, Some people wrap them in like newspaper and lay them flat in a box. And then I've heard of them like they shove the box under a bed or something and they gradually ripen. They do. They're they're not near as good as a sun ripened tomato. But, you know, if you're wanting to have a few tomatoes for Thanksgiving, give it a shot. They got to be better than the tomatoes that you get in the store. In the winter, I don't even eat those. I do. Or the ones at restaurants. I'm like, nah, I'm not eating those. So, well, I'll think about it. If, if our listeners have an idea for my green tomatoes, they can email us at thegardenangelist at gmail.com or they can talk to us on Facebook or Instagram. They talk to us everywhere. That's right. I appreciate that. Yeah. Some of them text me. Cool. So you do the next quote. No shade, no shine, no butterflies, no bees, no fruits, no flowers, no leaves, no birds. November. I do still have flowers and there's still birds. Leaves are still yeah, on the trees. Leaves are beautiful right yeah, now. Yeah. We had kind of a late, late fall, I would think. But some of my neighbor's trees are just in this sunlight are just gorgeous the last few days. Mine have just started to turn. And that, that quote was by a man named Thomas Hood, which I know nothing about, but it's really funny. And I will say that my mums are blooming. Emperor of China is blooming. Uh, the Sheffield mums are blooming and Ryan's pink is blooming. Well, I looked up Thomas Hood and there is a Thomas Hood that is an English poet from the 18th century. But I kind of think maybe this isn't his quote. It doesn't sound like a quote. It's it's a little bit like the, that other quote we had, which we were like, there's no way that guy said that. But that's OK. Anyway, he, maybe there's another Thomas Hood. He sounds like an American Thomas Hood to me. So we're going to look back at some of our favorite books from the past year. And uh, I listed three and you didn't add to them. So I guess you're in agree with, agreement with me. I am in agreement with you. I went and looked and I thought, no, these are the three of my favorite books that I've read this year. So the first one, and these are in no particular order, Unearthing the Secret Garden by Marta McDowell is one of our favorites. And we just, I mean, we just read it a few weeks ago and um, it's really good. And, you know, I think it's good, even if you're not a big time gardener, but you're a fan of the 
the book, The Secret Garden, you would enjoy this right. historical look at her life and her gardens. And just because she was very interesting. I had no idea that she was part of this whole literary group of women, um, including Louisa May Alcott. And there were just so many different ones in this group. And it was like, my gosh, those are all really famous women. And a lot of them, in her case, she was English and then moved to Tennessee. And then she ended up kind of in New England um, for a little bit. And then she went on Long Island. She ends up in Long Island eventually, but it takes a while to get there. But I, I thought it was interesting that all these women would get together. And a bunch of them were part of that mid-Atlantic area of New England, who those women were women of letters. And so it was really interesting how they all came to know each other, write each other's letters. And I thought that was one of the best parts of the book. I love the part about the garden, of course. That was really cool too. Yes. And so the second book that we put on the list was The Weld Garden Mind by Sue Stewart Smith. Yeah. And this is one that I started out with it on my Kindle and got like a third into it and thought I must own the actual book. And so I did go out and buy it. Mm-hmm. And I bought it for my daughter, who's a crisis counselor. Um, and Cause I kept sending her quotes from it and we need to give a shout out to Marie Reith, Who's one of our listeners. She actually contacted, I don't know if you know this, Sue Stewart Smith, and they actually did a zoom call with her, a group of, a group of people did a zoom call with her. I couldn't Very be part nice. of it. I was out of town, but um, I think I was in Nashville, but they had a really good time and she was very gracious and Marie really enjoyed it. And Marie's one of those people that she just gets out there and does things. I really admire that. Um, that is good. The Well Garden Mind is just such a great book about, oh, it's just, I, it's so encompassing and um, I still have a few pages to read on it. And I, there's sometimes on books, I won't finish them all the way because I don't want them to end. Really? Yeah, which is crazy, huh. but it is what it is. Um, I just thought her her writing about different types of garden therapy um, for different types of problems, whether it be war or whatever, it they were just amazing. It is amazing. And this is a book. I actually got this book and the Secret Garden book out. And I did a Zoom presentation yesterday. And at the end, somebody said, besides your own books, what are your favorite books to read? And these were right at hand. And it's like, you got to read The Well Garden Mind. You got to read Unearthing the Secret Garden. Yeah, those are both really good. And then you put up here, and let's not forget Tropical Plants and How to Love Them by Marion Wilburn. I love that book. I think it's one of the best books we've read all year. It's got great how-to information that you don't think about. It's got a lot of humor. It's just, it's brilliantly done. Well done, Mary. Yes. Well done. And I, I, you know, I think she brings so much fun back to it. And, let, you know, some of that how-to stuff can get really dry and really dull and boring. I don't want to say right anybody we know, but. Marianne just made it really fun. And um, we both know Marianne. She's a fun person, a lot of fun to talk to. She has a ready laugh, Yes, you know, so uh, Mm -hmm. shout out to Marianne. She is one of the bloggers over on Garden Rant. And uh, she has an exchange of letters with another blogger kind of going back and forth, which is, which is fun to read. So that's very clever. That's our three books. I think we came up with three really good ones. I mean, there's been some good books come out this year. They really have. Um, some years there aren't as many good books. Some years it seems like, and I'd like to think it's because of who they hired at Cool Springs Press 
as an editor. Yeah, Cool Springs Press. Um, um, that's where Marianne's book came from. And we know Jessica mm-hmm. Wallace are there. She's an editor. And I think they, you know, think she's really done some nice things there. It seems like it. I, you know, I don't know if Jessica um, did. I don't know if she actually edited that book or, or took the idea for that book, but I have a feeling she did. And uh, Jessica's a good writer herself. Well, you keep talking and I'll tell you in a minute. I'll tell you in a minute. She's going to tell us who the editor is. Um, anyway, Jessica's very, very smart. She's an entomologist. Um, she actually writes on a blog too, in addition to being an editor. And the blog is, tell me what the blog is. What Carol? blog? The blog that she and Nikki Jabor Savvy and Gardening. Tara all write on. Thank you. Savvy Gardening, which is very, very popular. Um, and, and by and the way, I d- Marianne I just, also has a blog. Did she? Uh, Small Town Gardener, I think it's called. Yes, she does. But I, I just looked up and the editor was Jessica Walliser. Okay. I just was almost sure it was because um, after they hired her, a lot of really interesting gardening books came out and we get nothing for saying this. They sent us the books, but that's it. Yeah. So very impressed this year. Um, Very impressed by our colleagues. We have some really good colleagues. So the dirt, I came up with the dirt. You tell us all about the dirt, D. I was kind of, I was fascinated by it. I'm always, you know, I I got a, it's fascinating. I got a heart for agriculture because, you know, I went to the school of agriculture and my father grew up on a farm and i like this story. Tell us about it. Okay. I think we need to be sure and tell people to go over and check out the link to it in Forbes magazine and it's online. Um, but it's a, it's a company called cook's venture and the name of the article is purpose at work, how cook's venture is disrupting the agriculture industry. So I was on Instagram and I kept getting these ads for Cook's Venture coming across. And I thought, well, I'm going to go check it out because I've had a little bit of trouble finding local chicken. I have since found a few places who will do local chicken. It's a little hard for me to get to it. Most of it is um, down in Oklahoma City around Scissortail Park area, which people who know know where that is downtown. And I live way north. So I finally bit the bullet the other day because I, in an earlier podcast, I talked about how after I read Jaber Crow and after I read a bunch of Wendell Berry's essays on farming, I became even more, what's the word? Um, it became an even more important thing to me to buy my food from local farmers. Okay. And so um, this company is not completely local, but the way they treat their chickens is amazing. And the reason it's disrupting the agriculture industry is that they raise these chickens on a feed that farmers in their area where they raise the chickens, they have contracted with those farmers to grow those crops. And it's a mixed feed. Whereas all the other chicken in the United States that is done um, commercially, according to this deal, all uses the same feed. And I'm sure it's the feed I used with my chickens when I had chickens, but I wasn't eating them. I was eating their eggs. And it's a good feed. It's just, it's got some stuff in it that they don't want in their feed. So they they raise their own chickens and they raise them where they go outside from the time they're little and they use heritage breeds. And I sound like a commercial for them, but I'm really not. I haven't even gotten my chicken yet. It comes like today. Well, you know, when it comes to chicken and I, I'm going to check this out because when it comes to chicken, if if you delve too much into how chicken is raised, it's terrible. It's terrible. And I I, I read in this one book and some pretty, yeah, 
some pretty horrific stories about chickens. And so if you can find a, a company like this, I'm going to check it out. And there's also, so there that's Cook's Venture. And since we're talking about chickens, it's the same thing with eggs. There's only like two breeds of chicken that they use um, for their eggs and also a, a different breed for, um, there's two different breeds for meat. Okay. So these are heritage chickens and that's important because you're keeping more genetics in the pipe, you know, and you need more genetics, better genetics. All right. So there's that. And then there are these eggs that you can actually buy at the store locally here and you can look for them, Carol, too. And they're called happy egg. And there's one, there's just happy egg, which comes in a yellow container, but then there's happy egg heirloom eggs and they come in a purple blue container and they have Aracana eggs in them. And they also have a brown egg layer, which I bought brown eggs for years because I want to. And I think it keeps the genetics different. And that's helpful. So this is a heritage breed of chickens. And my son the other day came over and he went to scramble some eggs and he broke these eggs. He goes, oh my gosh, these are the most beautiful eggs I've ever seen. I got to get some eggs. Because the yolks were really tall and stuff. So it was just a cool thing. And so just again, it's a neat, it's a neat idea. And that article is really cool about Cook's Venture. Very good. So this kind of takes you right. You are obsessed with food this week, Dee. Why don't you go right into your rabbit hole? I am obsessed with food. And Amy non-gardening best friend Amy said it was because I do this every fall. And I think it's because I can't garden. So I become obsessed with food. So um, I'm obsessed with food and I'm obsessed with cookbooks. And Debbie sent me a recipe from, um, a, from a cookbook called Nothing Fancy, Unfussy Food for Having People Over. And I went ahead and bought it. It's by Allison Roman. And it's a great book for cooking vegetables and some other things. And we eat a lot of vegetables and this is when I cook more. So there's that. And then because I'm still trying to do that thing where I'm buying from local people, um, it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's getting easier than it used to be. So I ordered my turkey and half a pig from Humble Hive Homestead and I'm linking to them and Julia and her husband, um, they, they feed the birds themselves and they feed the pigs themselves and the pigs are heritage breeds as are the birds. And I get my bird on November 20th and it's fresh, never frozen. And I get, my pig just went to harvest. I like that. They call it harvest now instead of slaughter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah Slaughter's that's, a little that's rude. A, yeah. yeah. So they're yeah. very good at what they do and I'm impressed. And then if you're looking for beef, my good friend, Joey Niebrugge at JWN beef, We've bought beef from her for a couple of years and it's just lean and it's wonderful. And she has some extra this year, she said. So if you'll email me at d at dnash.com, if you'd like some beef raised by a local farmer. So my rabbit hole was all about food and local farmers yeah. this, this week. So the interesting two things about that, I had an, another uncle who used to have a turkey farm. Mm -hmm. And I remember once as a kid going and looking in that turkey barn. I don't think they were raising them quite like the Humble Hive Homestead probably raised no, them. No, probably not. <laughs> there are a lot of turkeys in that building. You know, it's. Ugh. And then I, when I was in high school, there's another friend, her dad raised pigs. So we'd go over to see the baby pigs after school one day. And he had just cut off their tails and said, he, he said, excuse me if there's a tail on the ground. Oh, <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> but Poor anyway, pigs. My rabbit hole is completely different. Yeah, but a cool one. So we, I don't know if we ever talked about it, but earlier this we year, didn't. I read The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Oseman, which is a murder mystery novel set in England with, with uh, four residents of a retirement 
home, I guess you call it, or village. It's a really nice retirement home. A very <laughs> nice one. And so they they meet every Thursday to look at cold cases and try to solve them. And of course, then a real murder happens. And so they're off and running. And, uh, you know, without giving too much away, one of them is a retired nurse. One of them, one woman is a kind of vaguely didn't really say too much about it, but, you know, obviously worked in intelligence or MI6, MI5. Um, One of the guys um, is a a retired psychiatrist. And then the other one is a retired like labor union boss or something. So, yeah, he's really, really a mix of working class and upper class kind of thrown together in the retirement village thing. And it was, and then they, they have to solve the mystery. And so that one's called the Thursday murder club. And then the author is Richard Osman. I knew nothing about him. Osman, I guess. But apparently he's a big deal in Britain. He hosts several game shows and has been a TV producer. And I had no idea how popular that book really was in Great Britain. It's the third highest selling adult book. And he's only been beaten out by Dan Brown for Da Vinci Code and J.K. Rawlings, one of the Harry Potter books. Third highest. Impressive. That's pretty for his first novel. So the second one came out this month, The Man Who Died Twice. D, it mm-hmm. is just as good. Yeah. Just as good. And so, of course, I go down the rabbit hole to find out more. And I found out that he is um, has a contract to write two more. So there will be at least two more in the series, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I found out that none other than Steven Spielberg bought the movie rights to the Thursday murder club before the book even hit the shelves. Huh. So, so on these interviews with Richard Osman, Osman, I can't tell that wrong. As he's walking down the streets in London, he says, people will shout out the names of actors and actresses that they think should pay, play these different roles of Elizabeth, Joyce, Ron, and Abraham, Abraham. Abraham. And so um, I, I love it. And I think the third book, now we're American and this, these are very British, but I think that there needs to be a community garden set up. And I think that they need to have a dead body in the garden. That's my recommendation. That'd be awesome. I think he's a huge fan of Agatha Christie. And so he's got to know at some point, at some point there's got to be some gardening. Yeah. Because they, they talked in the Thursday murder club about cemeteries. Yeah. Because there's a cemetery because we didn't tell you, but the, the retirement home is on an acreage that was once owned by the archdiocese or whatever of the, of England. There were nuns. Yeah, it was nuns. And so um, it's just, it's really neat because that also figures into the story. Yeah. So um, I will say that there's a tree situation, a tree figures in the second story, but I think a whole garden need to have a community garden tap into some Agatha Christie tack tap into some Miss Jane Marple. These books are fun to read. And I'll tell you what, they do that movie, right? It's going to be a fun movie. It is. That's my dirt. That was my rabbit hole garden commission time. I love your rabbit hole. And I loved the first book and I'm kind of saving the second book right now. I'm reading home by Marilyn. I can't remember her last name, but I'm reading that one right now. Well, you need to save the second book until you have like an entire weekend when nobody's going to come over. Nobody's going to bother you because you got to read it the whole thing. You're not going to want to stop. Okay. Sounds good. So garden commissions. Um, In my case, 
I have still not pulled out all of my tomato and pepper plants and we've had such great weather that they were still producing, which is weird. And I've got to do that now. And I've got to store the smart pots in the barn. I have cleaned up my tomato and pepper plants um, and they were not killed off by frost, but I'm like, these things are done. Trash man's coming and I wanted to get them in the trash. So right, all the, you don't want to put them on your compost pile, right? All that's left in the vegetable garden are zinnias, nasturtium, snapdragons, and flowering tobacco, plus my broom corn. And by the time this episode drops on the 10th, those might be out of there. We'll see. So, and the last thing is, I do want to give a shout out. We'll put a link to Washington Gardener Magazine. If you are anywhere in the middle Atlantic states, this is a great magazine. Another friend of ours, Kathy Gents, is the publisher of it. That a very nice review of Digging and Delighted in the latest issue. So, Shout out to her and we'll put a link in the show notes because it can be read online and Kathy knows what she's doing as far as gardening. That's right. We would like to thank you for listening to the Garden Angelus. If you like our podcast, please tell your friends about us. Also hit that subscribe button so you don't miss anything. And if you listen to Apple Podcasts, we love a five-star review. Someone did give us one in October, and I really appreciate it. It helps us get noticed by others. Could you also share your podcast with your gardening friends? A shout out to Beth Teal, who does that all the time, and I so appreciate it. Word of mouth is still the best way to get the word out there. Yes, and be sure and check out our show notes for links for more information about today's topics, plus links to our own websites. And if you want to help support us, use the affiliate links. If you buy something after clicking through on them, We are in a small commission and it costs you nothing. It was lovely to chat with you over the garden gate today. Bye until next week. Bye everybody.